Welcome to the Now You Know Akron podcast, brought to you by the journalists of BeaconJournal.com. Each week, they will share their expertise on Akron and Summit County. Now, here's your host, Craig Webb. Thanks for joining us for the Now You Know Akron podcast. I'm your host, Craig Webb. In this podcast, we'll be having a discussion about unsolved crimes. We'll be joined by Ohio Attorney General David Yost, who has added a team of investigators who look at cold cases and try to use new investigative techniques to bring closure for the victims' families. One of these investigators is looking into an unsolved homicide in Hudson, and he will update us on the progress of that case. And lastly, we'll chat with Beacon Journal court reporter Stephanie Warsmith and Beacon Journal alum Paula Slice, who is a host of the Ohio Mysteries podcast, about a collaborative effort they have to look at unsolved crimes in the Akron area. But first, here's three things you should know from recent headlines on BeaconJournal.com. The economy is certainly improving Northeast Ohio as we recover from the economic collapse from the height of the pandemic. The signs of recovery can be found in the Help Wanted signs in store and restaurant windows. Local as well as national figures show increasing numbers of people with jobs, but those remain below the pre-pandemic levels. Despite a strong demand for workers, just 266,000 new jobs were added in April across the U.S., when nearly a million new jobs had been expected. Drug overdoses killed more Ohioans last year than at least the previous 14 years. An analysis by the Columbus Dispatch finds at least 5,001 Ohioans died of overdoses in 2020. The trend is troubling, but not unexpected, given the stress of last year amid the global pandemic. And our final story, it's American Craft Beer Week with a statewide collaboration beer. Brewers were given a basic recipe for an IPA pale ale and challenged to collaborate with a competitor to come up with a from-the-heart brew to help raise money for the Ohio Craft Brewers Association. The Akronim Brewery in Akron has partnered with the Blue Heron Brewery in Medina to create their own signature batch. They are among 70 Ohio breweries that will offer special beers. BeaconJournal.com and our apps always feature updated headlines and subscriber-exclusive content you can't find anywhere else. And now for our spotlight topic. This is all about closure and justice. Closure for the victims' families and justice for crimes committed. We will take a look at the efforts statewide to use new crime-solving techniques and a fresh look at evidence to help solve some of Ohio's cold cases. We are joined in this segment by Ohio Attorney General David Yost. For those of you keeping score at home, Dave is the state's 51st Attorney General. He has created a special investigative unit that is taking a fresh look at these cases throughout the state. Also joining us is Beacon Journal reporter Stephanie Warsmith, who covers courts and is also part of a special project taking a look at some cold cases in the Akron area. So welcome. Thanks. It's good to be here with you. Dave, let's start with you. You've had a long political career and also as a public servant. You've worn many hats uh, over the years, and one of those was a a county prosecutor. Since we're talking today about cold cases, I'm curious whether there is a case from your own career that remains unsolved or close to being solved for the lack of just one more witness or one more piece of evidence that that still haunts you. Yeah, there's a couple, um, but maybe the worst one is a case that happened up in Radnor Township. We uh, call it the Llama Lady case internally because uh, uh, the – lady who was killed uh, raised llamas, uh, kind of an unusual uh, 
sort of thing to uh, raise uh, on a farm in Delaware County, Ohio. Uh, we're more into Herefords and such, but uh, at any rate, uh, home invasion and just a horrible, horrible crime scene. I have to be careful, since it's still an open case, not to uh, put stuff out there in the public domain. But we never even had a, really a live lead. BCI helped us with that case, and uh, to this day it remains a mystery. And I wonder what happened there and whether we still we have a killer out there on the street. This special unit's relatively new, right? Why did you decide to create it? Well, because science keeps uh, leapfrogging itself. So DNA, you know, back in the mid-90s uh, was brand new science. And it's hard to believe. We, we take it for granted so much now, but um, it's actually a relatively recent uh, kind of development. Uh, and since then, our... Uh, Every few years, our abilities get better. So things that we used to not, there wasn't enough DNA to test. Uh, now through modern amplification techniques and, and other advances, uh, that'll work. We used to have trouble being able to get an identity out of mixtures. Uh, if you had two donors and it was a mixed sample, well, now we have some techniques where that can be useful evidence. Um, and it goes on, familial uh, tracing, YSTR testing, even mitochondrial DNA on long dead bones. So you get a case that's 15, 20, 30 years old, there's at least a chance that other developments in science or leads in related cases uh, might open the door to a fresh look and maybe solving the case. You talk a lot about little forensics, but I'm kind of curious how... Maybe we could talk all day about this, but how, how does a unit work specifically? Well, we've got four field agents, forensic supervisor, a criminal analyst supervisor. Uh, it's seven total people, and it works between disciplines in a unified approach. It's important to remember that most of Ohio's police agencies just don't have the scale to be able to field their own DNA analysts, their own forensic scientists, you know, the, the, the things that we see, the wizardry on TV, um, simply isn't available for most uh, local police departments and sheriff's offices. That's where BCI comes in. Uh, we use the state's size and scale to bring those uh, magic-seeming tools to law enforcement for the entire state. And how are you choosing your cases? Are they coming to you or are you seeking them out? Well, uh, largely they're coming to us, although uh, we, ha we we reach out as well. And it's important to recognize that we can't touch every case. We don't have enough people. And not every case is suitable for treatment. We've got uh, 127 cold cases that are in some uh, process of review all the way through, you know, actually in uh, the adjudication process uh, and everything in between. Uh, we've had 46 at this point cases that we have completed our review and uh, we're really excited about this new unit and what it might mean for bringing closure to some 
old mysteries and some families who have been living in grief and uh, uncertainty for many years. What is your hope for the future of the unit? You know, part of that's going to be a function of demand. Part of it's going to be a function of how many advances there are in science. But the fact of the matter is we've got uh, we're we're getting results out of this. And, uh, you know, anything you do that actually creates results is something you probably want to want to grow right next door to Summit County and Medina County. uh, We have the case of Simon Legg that was uh, solved uh, over the last 18 months or so using YSTR and new investigative techniques. And that might be where the conversation some other time, the, the science behind that, Stephanie, is really fascinating. Uh, just to, to give you a teaser, your, every man's Y chromosome is identical to all the other men in his family. So the ability of the detectives, once they've identified the families, to go plot out the family tree and start knocking on doors. Uh, it's, it's really an interesting uh, technique, and, and in the Simon Legg case, it um, produced a, a, a result. I, I'm kind of curious. It seems like obviously we are talking in a podcast about unsolved crimes, and there are many podcasts out there, including some from our own esteemed publication here. Are these would-be detectives helpful or harmful, I mean, to, to your efforts a little bit? I mean, just everyone wants to be a Matlock? Well, actually, eyes, ears, and brains are always helpful, and uh, the even more so the attention that the media, frankly, and and by that I'm including new media like podcasts, uh, the the spotlight that they place on these old cases sometimes can generate new leads. Somebody comes across some uh, one of these stories, and something rings a bell, and they're able to provide a link, a fact, uh, some piece of evidence that maybe they didn't even know its relevance at the time, or maybe they didn't know about the case at the time. So we appreciate uh, all the attention on these cold cases. As I like to say, a case never goes cold. We may run out of current leads, but everybody counts. Well, the important thing to remember is behind every victim, there's a mom and a dad, a brother and a sister. And, and sometimes a spotlight can create a sense of urgency that may be difficult for you to say, hey, we have four agents, right? Well, that's true. Um, but, you know, who knows? We get enough of these success stories under our belt. Maybe the General Assembly will want to give us a little more money. Is there a particular case that's coming up statewide that that is a new one that you are looking to pursue? Or I mean, you're always pursuing everything, right? You said there was an inordinate number of uh, cases. Yeah, if, and frankly, probably the biggest challenge for this unit is the fact that we get people who desperately want the cold case unit to take their loved one's case, but there's nothing there to justify it. There's no new lead. There's no new scientific development where we can go back and resample the DNA, use some kind of new analysis. And, you know, it's heartbreaking to have to tell those families, no, there isn't anything we can do. But with a small unit and limited resources, we, we simply have to focus our attention 
not on the case that tugs at our heartstrings, but at the case where we can actually do good. Yes, I'm curious. Is there a time when a case is just too cold? Do we reach that point that it's too old a case to even explore? I mean, you said every case is always open, but I mean, is there a point that? Well, as a practical matter, I suppose if we had a case that was more than 100 years old, the likelihood of having a defendant would be uh, nil. But absent that, uh, I'm not willing to put any time constraints on it. Um, the, the fact is that uh, you can find new evidence in the most unlikely of places. And we saw through uh, the sex assault, uh, sexual assault kit issue that arose several years ago that we can have cases that are decades old and we can still come back and with new techniques uh, test those, uh, test the evidence in those cases. Uh, and, and we've had hits, uh, hardly uh, a week goes by where we don't have some kind of a CODIS hit on a DNA sample uh, that uh, was previously unknown, unlooked at. Do you plan to expand the unit? I would love to expand the unit. Its uh, early successes, I think, demonstrate the, uh, the usefulness of the idea. But we've got lots and lots of things. I'll tell you something else that's really on my radar right now is gun violence. And we have uh, some pretty cool forensic tools uh, at a national database on the uh, markings, on uh, ballistic markings on recovered cartridges, shells. Those can be incredibly valuable clues, especially in tying together uh, crimes that are committed with guns, you know, across time. So one bad guy um, using the same gun in different places or different times and situations can be tied together by those unique markings on shell casings. Candidly, I need a couple of techs. I need... Uh, uh, some more hardware so that we can expand uh, that process. Uh, and I'll tell you what, uh, as as near and dear as cold cases are to my heart, with the gun violence that is racking our big cities, including Akron, expanding our ballistics capability is every bit as important to me. Are there plans? Or are you uh, pushing for that, uh, pushing for some funding for those techs that you need? I had a meeting this week with my team in Richfield uh, in your circulation area, and uh, we are developing some plans that I hope to be able to fund. Well, Dave, I, I want to thank you for joining us today. I understand you're a lover of music, and we could have maybe uh, delved into that. Maybe that's for a future discussion. But, uh, Stephanie, thank you both for joining us today. Joining us is Roger Davis, a supervisor for the Cold Case Unit in the Ohio Attorney General's Office, and Beacon Journal reporter Stephanie Smith, War Smith, sorry, who uh, covers courts and, as we said before, is part of a special project taking a look at cold case in the Akron area. Right now, we're going to take a closer look at an unsolved case out of Hudson. Welcome, both of you. I guess we have a little disclaimer, Roger, that obviously this is a cold case, but it's still an active investigation, right? Yes, yeah, so it is a cold case, but it, there is an active investigation on it. Um, so I, I will give that little disclaimer that perhaps some details we will not be able to release at this time. Okay, very good. So obviously it's an active case. So where are we right now in, in the process? 
touching on what General Yost said, for the cold case unit, historically, we have always worked cold cases at BCI. But in the past year, with the General Yost's focus on it, we've made this a multidisciplinary aspect. So what we did was took the laboratory, criminal intelligence, and investigations and made it into one unit. We utilized all those disciplines, all of those personalities, all of the, the expertise from each of those to look at each of these cases on a case-by-case basis. So for Janice Christensen's case, Hudson PD uh, had done a fantastic job uh, from for, on this case uh, and staying uh, current with this case from the time it happened. They reached out to us in uh, June of last year, 2020. And then we did, as, as part of this new unit, what we do, and, and touching on when you said how we choose these cases, um, we, we developed an assessment checklist form as we look at cases, um, which, which go with a, uh, several different parameters. It could be prosecutorial support. Does a case file exist? Does evidence exist? Has evidence been destroyed? Uh, how old is it? Uh, we do have some from the 1960s that we are currently looking at as well. So, you know, age is not necessarily a, a disqualifier to these cases. But with that assessment, we conducted that for Janice Christensen with Hudson PD and then scheduled and set up a case and evidence review. So in that, what we brought was the personnel from Hudson PD, laboratory personnel, investigative personnel, original investigators, if possible, along with investigations personnel. And we all sat down in the same room and reviewed the case with with pictures, PowerPoints, documentation. And we went through each and every physical item of evidence that was still related to the case. From that, I, I, I don't have the actual number, but it was probably, you know, 36 to 40 items of evidence that we reviewed and submitted, I believe, between, you know, nine or ten of those items. So when you ask where, where we're at in the case, uh, we have submitted additional items for, for a multitude of testing. This could be DNA, uh, could be advanced DNA, it may be fingerprints, uh, or it may be a, an analysis of items that had never previously been tested. Maybe one of you could tell us a little bit the circumstances of the case, maybe the timeline, the year it happened, and maybe the, the circumstances. Sure. So. Janice Christensen was 31. She was found deceased August 11th of 1987. It was on a bike trail in Hudson, Ohio. She had been raped and repeatedly stabbed in the chest. Hudson Police Department and BCI actually at the time also assisted with the original crime scene. She was found by her husband, uh, and reported by her husband missing the night before, and he found her along with his dog on the bike trail. So, Roger, you testing items in the case, I realize you may not want to say what you're testing, but are you testing items that haven't previously been tested? So out of those items, there are items that had been previously tested, and there's items that have never been tested. So, you know, it's both spectrums of analysis. You know, it, it may be a retesting uh, it may be advanced testing. And do you have a time frame upon, you know, how long you think it'll be uh, until your work on this case is done? I, I would like to say our work on this case is not ever going to be done until we find the person responsible. So 
um, as part of that and, and part of having all of those disciplines together, you know, we do have a focus on the laboratory and submitting items, but there's also investigative sides. There's, there's analysis from, you know, it could be additional records that weren't gone through. It could be identifying potential people of interest in the case, or it may, you know, even witnesses in the case that had never been talked to previously. So, you know, there's multiple sides from these case and evidence reviews that, that each member of the team starts, you know, utilizing and going out and, and trying to form that, you know, perfect piece of the puzzle. How hopeful are you that this this case might eventually be cracked, so to speak? I'm hopeful. Um, I think, as General Yost said, when we look at cases and, and we are determining through these assessments, you know, the, the potential for solvability, this is a case I think has, has a strong amount of solvability to it. I think it has a lot of potential uh, in moving forward. Um, I'm very hopeful that it, it reaches it or reaches a point where we have the person responsible. If it does not reach that, this case through, you know, Hudson Police Department and, and the other investigative work will be at a much further point in case, you know, newer technologies advance, you know, uh, several years from now. And so when you approach a case like this, do you come in with just, I hate to say cold for lack of a better word, but no preconceived notions? I mean, are you looking at, at it strictly, you know, with fresh eyes? So, yes. One, one of the things that we realized uh, to make this a multidisciplinary team approach to it is, you know, we met with Hudson PD and got a copy of their case file. We digitized that for all the members that would be at this case and evidence review, and we let each individual read and go through that case file on their own. So you're getting many different perspectives. You're getting many different ideas and thought processes behind it. Oftentimes in cases, you know, we may reach and get to that same conclusion of a person of interest, or there may be, you know, 10 to 15 to 20 additional leads that may happen just based on having that fresh perspective look at it. I mean, do you try to work in tandem with these, with Hudson or do you try to be somewhat independent so that you're. So, so the independent review by each person before the case and evidence review is, is individualized. Since that review, we work in partnership with Hudson PD. So it, Hudson PD is still the lead agency with their cold case, and, and as I said, they've done a phenomenal job uh, in maintaining and organizing and having a complete case file and, and, and in their investigative work as well. But we are now working, you know, in conjunction with them and aiding them with, with whatever resources or personnel or, or ideas we can offer to them. And does time help? interviewing witnesses or does it hurt? I mean, you know, you may forget some things or you may remember some things. I'm just wondering if you're further removed from maybe the pain in the morning, is it easier for people to talk more candidly in a, in a later investigation like this? It is. Oftentimes with cold cases, um, time can be an ally. Often with with a, a homicide that occurs and, and, and for lack of a better term is a fresh homicide, Time is important. You want to get witnesses, suspects, individuals interviewed. With cold cases, time can be an ally because many times relationships can change. Uh, it may be business partners who are no longer friends. It may be marriages that have dissolved. 
It may be boyfriend and girlfriends who no longer are in contact with each other. So answering, you know, is does it make it easier? I don't know that it makes it easier, but time can be certainly an ally when you're going back and talking to individuals within the cold cases. On the flip side of that, Roger, sometimes you might have a suspect who's deceased that you run run up against when you're looking into these cases that go back 30, 40, 50 years. We do. The, we, we have some cases where, where our person of interest or, or a suspect in the case is deceased. Um, as General Yo said, that doesn't necessarily preclude us from continuing to work that. Uh, there are ways with, with laboratory analysis and, and the advancements in DNA that, you know, if we can emphatically, emphatically show that this person is responsible for that, you know, the commission of that crime, we will still further and move forward with those cases. Roger, I'm curious if, if someone knows something about this particular case or an unsolved case in a hometown in Ohio, what's, what's your suggestion? And if they had information to share, how would they share something like that? I would encourage everyone, and, and I think you touched on it in, in talking to General Yost when you asked about, you know, what would, what does he think about podcasts or, or the media or, or individuals looking at these cases? I, I encourage teamwork from everybody. Um, even an individual who believes they, their information is minimal or it wouldn't lead to anything, I encourage each and everybody to reach out to whether it's their, their local police department, who is your uh, original agency for one of these cases, or they can reach out, you know, to BCI. We, we get tips and constituent information on a daily basis. Uh, we forward that to the agencies if we're not involved in their case. If we are involved in the case, you know, we still forward it and work jointly for each and every one of these tips. And, Roger, your office also has a website where you have some of the, the cold cases on there, including uh, the Janice Christensen case, I believe. Correct. We do have the, the Unsolved Homicide and Missing Persons databases, uh, websites uh, out of the Attorney General's office. They're searchable. You can actually use, you know, let's say if you use the word duct tape, it, w- it would show you any cases that had duct tape with those. So as individuals are looking or if people want to compare cases, you know, I welcome the teamwork from anyone, and I encourage everyone to look at those sites. If you have a case that is not on that site, I encourage you to, to talk to the, the original agency that has that case, uh, and we will happily add those cases to the website. Roger and Stephanie, I'd like to thank you both for joining us today, and uh, appreciate your good work on this, and thank you. Thanks. Absolutely. Thank you. I'd like to think of this segment as a podcast about a podcast. I mean, it sounds like an episode of Seinfeld or, or, or something like that. Um, we're joined by uh, court reporter Stephanie Warsmith and Beacon Journal alum Paula Slice. I, I believe um, you are retired, Paula, but if that's the case, I, I'm feeling a little bit old. Um, so let's just say you are continuing your journalism in a new endeavor, and, and that passion is a perfect segue into why we are here today. So first, welcome. Thanks for having us, Craig. I like to think of uh I like the I like the way you phrased that. Yeah, I'm I'm just endeavor I'm moving on to something else. Being this is Paula by the way, and being part of Ohio Mysteries, I'm still writing like two stories a week. I don't get paid for them, but it's like the the writing never stopped. So Paula, you were a reporter for quite a while, right? Yes, yes. 
I started at the Beacon Journal in one way or another back in 1982 and retired in 2017, I think. We'll, we'll fact check you later. Um, I, okay. I'm, sure we'll, I'm sure you're right. Maybe. So, but now you, you have a podcast that you've been working on. Uh, yeah. As soon as I retired, the day I retired, as a matter of fact, my nephew, uh, called me. He's a bus driver for, uh, Akron Metro and, um, called me and said, well, I know what you're going to be doing in retirement. And I said, what's that? And he said, we're going to do a podcast together. I think he came over before the week was out and we, uh, formulated a plan and embarked on Ohio Mysteries, where we cover mysteries that could be true crime, they could be historical, they can be UFOs and Bigfoot, they could be stories of hidden treasure. There's a mystery in there. We can cover it. How often do they come out? They come out twice a week. We do a full, a larger episode, about 30 to 40 minutes on Sunday, and then we do on Wednesday what we call a 10-minute mystery for things that are interesting but just don't take up quite that much time. We've done over 200 episodes and approaching our third anniversary now. And you haven't been canceled yet? Not yet. Is it possible to cancel us? I I guess it is. But that brings us to Stephanie. Stephanie, welcome. Thank you. Thank you. It's good to be here with my very, very dear friend, Paula. How long have you two known each other? So I started at the Beacon in 1998, and interesting tidbit, Paula was one of my editors. And at the time, we had, I think it was five or six people working at night, and I was the night police reporter. And so that's how Paula and I got to know each other was um, in that capacity. And then she uh, ended up going back to reporting, and I covered just about every beat at the Beacon, and I'm currently on the court's beat, and Paula and I have been, for a couple years now, enjoying collaborating on a kind of crossover between the Beacon and Ohio Mysteries so that we can uh, tell stories in different ways, um, both in the paper, online, and through podcast. Stephanie, I don't know if you remember, but the day that you started at the Beacon, you walked up to me and you said, Paula, I am one of your biggest fans. And I thought, this is going to be my new best friend. And here we are all these years later. <laughs> I do not remember that conversation, but I am not surprised at all because I was an intern for the Beacon um, a couple years before I ended up getting hired there. And so I had been a longtime reader of the beacon and was familiar with a, a lot of the work that great work that had been done there, including, including by Paula, who to this day, I still think is one of the best writers uh, the beacons ever had. And may I say, Stephanie is one of the best and hardest working reporters I have ever known. And we're such, so, such a good fit for this series because Stephanie is really heavy on her experience in crime reporting, trial reporting, and I'm very much more in the realm of uh, culture and uh, feature, and I did some education and some business, and boy, I think we just fit together perfect for this. I think these stories are funny, this trip down memory lane, because I remember, Paula, first time I, I ran into you, told me to put the pizza down there and that you'd pay me uh, by credit card, and I said, no, I actually work here, but um, that's <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember no. that. No, I, it didn't happen, but it could have happened. Oh, um, it could have. 
Good. So how many stories have you two collaborated on in this new endeavor? Well, we've done in the the newest uh the newest series that's called that we're calling Unresolved. We've uh we've done one story so far. Uh prior to that though, we've collaborated several times including a, a 40-year uh anniversary story on the unsolved murders of Ricky Beard and Mary Leonard that uh, a lot of uh, our listeners uh, likely remember. They were the uh, North Hill sweethearts who disappeared, um, and uh, then the car was found later, and they still don't know who's responsible for for killing them. Their um, uh, bones were found uh, years after the car was found. It's, it's an interesting case. And then we did another series uh, last year called Exhumed, that looked at um, four cases in Summit County in which the bodies were exhumed. And we talked about whether that uh, helped to solve those cases or not. So that's our our prior, prior cases. In this latest endeavor, unresolved your, your first case, I think is one we've already talked a little bit about with the attorney general. Why don't you uh, talk a little bit about, about the first story in this, in this new series. So the first uh, story is on the Janice Christensen case and uh, Janice, uh, was uh, a woman who, a younger woman who was very into fitness and walking and running, and she went for a run in 1987, and then uh, they unfortunately found her body. She had been stabbed and raped on the um, Hudson Trail, and her husband, who had reported her missing, um, found her body on the trail when he went looking for her. So uh, this is a case that this many years later is is unsolved, unfortunately, and the Hudson police and the cold case unit from the attorney general's office are taking a new look at it and hoping that new technology and tools that they have available to them are going to help uh, in uh, figuring out who was responsible for her death all those years ago. Yeah, this was a a perfect way to kick off the series because there is DNA in this case. They have DNA and they, you know, I mean, they don't want to come out and be too hopeful and and raise expectations. But in reading between the lines, you really get the feeling that there's a good chance that they could solve this one. And so we really wanted to put it out there uh, in the hopes that they can do that. And the other thing that really struck me about this case was, you know, I, I lived in the area all my life, and I remember 1987. Janice Christensen's murder was one of four murders of women in the holiday season of 1987, and a lot of people were fearful there was a serial killer on the loose. And I just remember the people talking about it, people being scared, gun sales going up, sales of mace going up. Um, People just really on edge. And it it's probably, police think it's probably likely that these four cases weren't related. And Janison's, we know for sure one of them resulted in an arrest just last year. DNA identified a profile of a man who lived in Cleveland, and he's actually awaiting trial. Hopefully he'll be I'm seeing his day in court later this year. So we know for sure one of those four did not match. And they don't think the others either. So fingers crossed that they'll be able to do the same for for Janice. I mean, obviously, the crime is an awful thing for the victim and their families. But, I mean, you're you're also storytellers, right? I mean, you you have to have elements for story, right? And and how, when you're looking at, at cases 
do use elements of story to pick your cases? I think the cases really are written differently for print and for podcast. So for podcast, there's a sense of wanting to build the drama. So there's maybe even more of a spell of a storytelling aspect to it. You want to create, you know, a moment at the beginning that's going to make one of people stick to the end and see how it happens. In the newspaper version of it and the online version, it's probably a little bit more traditional newspaper writing. Steph, what do you think? Yeah, I agree. And I, I think one of the reasons that, um, that we're hoping and, and I think there was a really good response to the first story. You know, we're hoping to reach different audiences here and some people may be more into, um, you know, the more traditional newspaper type uh, or online story. And and some people may want to read read uh, or listen to the podcast. I know, uh, for example, with this story that Paula went into more detail on some aspects of the case, on some of the suspects that they looked at. Um, in her story than, than I did for the, um, the story that, that appeared in print. So, you know, it's different types of storytelling could appeal to different people. And, and that's really what we're trying to, to do here. And I got to give credit to my nephew, Steve Yoder, who is the technical side of Ohio Mysteries. And he adds music, um, in our regular series. He may add, um, sound effects and, and that sort of thing. And it it really creates a, a unique sensation sometimes when you're listening to a, a podcast and you have those extra elements and he goes to the effort of, of providing those. So the podcast, if you've read the story, listen to the podcast. It is a different experience. If you've listened to the podcast, read the story. We don't necessarily cover the same information in both. Stephanie actually writes the um, newspaper and online story separately from me. And sometimes we pull different elements in together. So do them both and, and get the whole package. Well, this had a lot of elements, right? The sense of place. I mean, it's a community where there are not a lot of murders, right? And, you know, the victim being, you know, another element. And, and you believe it was around the holidays, right? This was holiday time or? Yeah, it went from August into Christmas, the four women who were killed. Um, so there was definitely that feeling of, you know, everybody's trying to be happy and enjoy the holidays and these bodies keep showing up. And they were all middle class women doing normal things. They weren't high risk type victims. They're not, you know, prostitutes. These aren't drug killings. I mean, these women, who, these were women who were playing bingo or going Christmas shopping or jogging, you know, or hanging out with friends. They're very, very tame lifestyles that shouldn't have attracted this kind of attention, which is what made it more shocking, I think, to people who thought, oh, my gosh, that could have been me. You know, I could have been the one coming out of the Chapel Hill store and and abducted. I could have been the one jogging on on the trail and been abducted. So, yeah, I I think that really added to the the vibe that that existed at that time. So in, in telling the story, we really want to bring that back. So we try to find the details to try to help you imagine what it was like in 87. And I think especially in the podcast, we have the opportunity to do that a little bit more with because we have space for more little tiny details, what the weather was like, you know, what what a scene looked like, things you might not take the time to really spell out in a new story, um, as well as, like I said, adding music and things like that that really, really make you feel like you're there. Maybe both you can answer Who's, who's your audience? I mean, is it young? Is it old? Is it everywhere? Everyone in between? 
Male, female, future serial killers? Hopefully not. All of the above, Craig. Except for the serial killer part, right? And hopefully. Hey, maybe. I'm, I'm sure. They're probably listening, too. Um, I, you know, I think our crowd tends to be a little bit older, like 30s, 40s, uh, and up into 60s and 70s. I don't hear a lot from people who are, like, in their 20s. Um, they may be listening and maybe they're just, that's not a generation that reaches out to you. I think a little bit more women than men, although we've got a lot of male fans. And one of the, the fun things about Ohio Mystery is our, our listeners provide us with a lot of our topics. They write us. And I have a lot of men and women who write, want to help with the research. So this, Especially true crime. There's just something universal. We all want to see this solved. Everybody wants to be a part of seeing this solved. And so we get a lot of feedback from people who want to, want to help. And you've answered that was going to be the next question. What is our fascination with, with crime? And I, I guess maybe it's that connecting with the victims or just curiosity or just, you know, that, that sense of justice, maybe. Craig, I think. It- a couple of the stories that we've collaborated on have really, you know, brought back a lot of memories for people. I remember um, when we did the the story on the um, unsolved murder of Ricky Beard and Mary Leonard. And uh, like I remember another person in the media said, I remember seeing those, you know, the missing posters up around North Hill. And uh, somebody who uh, I knew in court, a court reporter said, I went to school with Mary Leonard. I remember her. And so. Yeah, I think that I think that a lot of these uh, these cases, they stick with people. And and as Paula said, there's um, an inherent need for justice, you know, for these families that I mean, we talked to the Leonard and Beard families for for that series. And they are still they broke down in tears and their children broke down in tears you know, wanting to know what happened, um, happened to Mary and Ricky and, and not knowing after all this time, it's still very, very much important to them, even though, you know, we've had four decades that have passed. As we said before, behind each of these cases is a mom, a dad, a brother, a sister, a friend, you know, a husband. So, so what's next? What are you, what are you two working on? So we've got a, another really interesting case uh, coming up. Our next case is going to be on um, a, a young mother and her baby daughter, Melissa and Jasmine Collins, who disappeared in um, 1991 in Akron and have unfortunately never been heard from again. And there is thought that, unfortunately, um, at least Melissa may have been killed um, but interestingly, there is still hope among uh, the family members and the police that maybe whoever killed Melissa didn't kill Jasmine and she could still be out there somewhere. There's actually been um, several women who um, have come forward and thought they might be Jasmine and they've done DNA tests to see if they were. So we'll be exploring some of the interesting twists and turns in this case. Um, coming up a little bit later this month. Um, and uh, we've got other things uh, coming down the pike as well, some some good cases. And what Steph just said there is an example of how we're going to be telling you things you don't know because that has never been reported on. You know, in each of our cases, we're trying to find 
you know, new material that's brand new. And this thing about all these women coming forward saying, maybe I'm Jasmine and wanting to be tested, that hasn't been reported on. I mean, we're, I'm excited about us breaking news on, on old cases. And I, we did that with the Janice Christensen case. We had never reported before that her body was found with a pair of shoelaces that the killer brought with him and didn't use. And that was really significant because four months before Janice was killed, a girl was raped on another Metro Park trail and her killer had brought shoelaces and tied her up and he didn't kill her. And the police are wondering, did Janice fight back? And that, and that's why she died. And if that's the case, then police have an idea of what this killer looks like because they have a composite sketch from the woman who survived the earlier attack. We have never been able to report about those shoelaces before. So it was it was exciting to be able to bring that out. And that's our goal in each of these cases. Try to find something new, you know, make these cases new again. Paul, I'm a, I'm a bit confused because I, I thought you were retired. You, you sound an awful lot like an active reporter um, still asking those questions. <laughs> yeah, I, well, you know, when you're writing two podcast episodes a week, you never you never get out of that that research and, and interview mode. So. so folks have suggestions or ideas for you, both in this project of the Beacon or perhaps your all Ohio Mysteries podcast. How, how can they reach out to you folks? So they can uh, send me an email at S Warsmith. That's W A R S M I T H at the beacon journal.com. And uh, then we can add whatever their suggestions are to our growing list of cases that we're hoping to to uh, take a look at. It's our goal to try to see if we can do uh, one case a month um, as long as uh, we're able to keep this up. So um, please uh, send us your suggestions. And um, we've got a, another case coming up uh down down the road here that is one that a reader suggested that we're going to we're going to take on and I'm setting up an interview with detectives right now to to go and talk to them about Paula it's great to hear from you again and Stephanie I hear from you every so often obviously bumping around the newsroom so thank you both for joining us today thanks for having me great to be part of the team again thanks Craig that's all the time we have today for the Now You Know Akron podcast. We'd like to thank our producer, BJ Lisko, who works behind the scenes to make this podcast possible. Be sure to join us again next week. Episodes are released every Wednesday, wherever you download your favorite podcasts, and available on beaconjournal.com and all of our various apps. We urge you to support local journalism by becoming a subscriber. If you've already signed up, thank you. Until next week, Now You Know Akron.